The Start. On Demand. On Demand. As much as 58% of the food produced in this country is lost or wasted every year. With more than half of us actually tossing food from our fridge that's otherwise decent because we let it go bad before using it. So on today's podcast, we're going to introduce you to a new app that's trying to connect consumers to restaurants and stores, looking for ways to keep some of that food out of the trash bin. And while we're at it, we're going to ask you for your favorite leftovers, your recipes, your go-to day-after meals. We'll talk about the protests, freedom of the press, and all that anger that's out there. Can we find our way back to a respectful, healthy debate? It's free agency day in the CFL. Who will we welcome? Who will we say goodbye to? And have you noticed more movie trucks out there lately? We'll get an update on the film industry. Business is booming. All coming up on your February 8th podcast edition of The Start. Greg Macklean and Loren McNabb in for your Tuesday morning. Brett's back tomorrow, just taking a couple days off. A couple of listeners telling us that the roads are getting pretty sloppy out there with those warming, warming temperatures warming up. It will uh, potentially be a little slippery, a little sloppy. So keep that feedback coming, 780-6868, along with all our listeners who are throwing out things like stew, chili, pizza, sweet and sour ribs, one said, is their favorite go-to for leftovers. And why are we talking what to do with all our leftover food, Greg? Well, at 8.37, we're going to introduce you to an app. They're, uh, they're trying to do everything they can to reduce the amount of food that we waste in this country. It's an exorbitant amount of food. It costs every family in Canada about $1,700 per year. That's food that never you know, uh, tantalizes your taste buds or enters your tummy. And they're doing their best to make sure that food that would otherwise go unused or perhaps into the garbage from restaurants, from grocery stores, is being repurposed and is being made available to those that want it, those that need it. It's a great initiative. We'll tell you how they're going about it in just under two hours from now. So for a chance to win four tickets to the home renovation show, we want to hear from you What do you do with your leftovers when you open up that fridge? What are the things that you don't ever want to touch again? And what is the item that you just absolutely love to have the next day? Sometimes we'd argue certain meals can be better day two, day three, I don't know, even day four, depending on how much you have. So let's go around the wheel. Cam, I want to start with you. Leftovers, go to. Well, well, we have some very, very intelligent listeners. Uh, (laughs) They text in uh, and they said stews and... Uh, chili and stuff like that. I mean, that that's what I was going to say. Any any like a casserole of any sort, uh, anything where it's like everything's got to kind of join together and all the flavors kind of got to work and all the textures, uh, you know, take time to sort of, um, you know, I don't know, like collect in, in into one sort of flavor and stuff. I, I find that those are the best uh, leftovers um, uh, for the for the next day, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Stews, chilies, and casseroles and stuff like that. Anything made in, in one pan or one pot. 
Yeah. It's got to kind of like, what's the word, emulsify or something? Just sort of soak into one of <laughs> yeah, Emulsify. I don't think that's yeah. the right science. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll Google that word after and figure out if yeah. I got that right. Jeff, Ron, how was, about you? I was going to say emulsify, but I decided against it because I didn't think it was correct. <laughs> well, I did it. I've done it. I'm going to turn my mic off, double check, and we'll go to Braun now. Uh, for me, it's mac and cheese, a craft dinner. It tastes better Ooh, yeah. the second day. And I don't use milk in mine. I just put in extra butter. So it's kind of dry yes. to begin with. And then the next day, pull it out of the fridge. It's all hard and rubbery. Just nuke it for a minute, add some extra pepper to it. And uh, it pairs the best with Pepsi, I must say. Uh, I, I can't eat it without having a, a can of Pepsi along with it. There's just something about all the chemicals in both of those things together. Just uh, <laughs> make my tummy sing, at least for a little while. <laughs> well played, Ron. The can of Pepsi too, right? <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's much better than yeah. a bottle. Yeah. Okay. I, ice can. I'm with ice you on can, that, too. Cold can. Of Why? I don't know. It just It's better out of a can. You can just, like, control the, your, the <laughs> amount of bubbles you take in. It's better. It is. I don't know why. Okay. Something about the metal versus plastic, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You like the tin taste. Okay. Uh, yeah. Greg, you mentioned your mom's lasagna off the top of the show. Do you want to expand on her lasagna, or do you have something else that you love the next day? Well, when I was... Uh, when I was a bachelor, I would make a big pan, like a family-sized pan of lasagna that would easily, you know, create nine pieces. So when I was living on my own, that could feed me easily Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, maybe even to Wednesday. And it's that good that I didn't mind eating it that often. But the one thing that I have as leftovers that Brett, and I think you have sort of looked at me funny when I bring it into the studio, is cold steak yeah i when have looked at you barbecue funny. steak i always make an extra one and then slice it up and then i bring in my peppers i love my red my yellow my orange peppers and cold steak there's actually nothing better for breakfast than strips of steak and peppers and maybe a little blue cheese dressing to dip the peppers in you said you will have your lasagna like five days in a row is there a line for anyone in terms of when you get sick of leftovers or does it depend on the food greg I buy a lot of these, uh, sorry, I'm no. just jumping in. I, I, I buy uh, rotisserie chickens a lot just because then I don't yeah. have to cook. But it's a whole chicken. So that thing, I've stretched those out to like 10 days, to which and my girlfriend's like, you're insane. You're 10 days sick, for chicken? You? Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just pick at it over the course of a week <laughs> or whatever. That seems too long. <laughs> that, yeah, does that does seem. kind of gross near the end. But yeah. uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to waste the chicken, okay? <laughs> For me, it's actually Chinese food, mm-hmm. and what, what, one of the problems oh, is yeah. one of the problems is though is that it's so good. Like I start picking out of it before I put it on a plate and put it into the microwave. I just end up eating it cold. <laughs> it's just too good. It's too good to stop eating. Is anyone else like that? No, I, I am. Yeah, you no, pull something out of the fridge, and you're like, okay, like I'm gonna microwave this. It's gonna be nice and hot, but instead you start eating it, and it just yeah. does not make it to the. Anything microwave. that's a I, stir fry, I will eat cold. Like Thai the next day, Cam, you were gonna say leftover raviolis. I'll yeah. just take those out of the fridge and pop them in my mouth. Oh, and Loren, I found the word. It's it's melding of flavors coming together. <laughs> the word is melding. Well, it's not emulsify because that's <laughs> to convert two or more immiscible liquids into an emulsion. One of our listeners says it's actually infuse, to infuse the flavors. Well, I don't know if that seems right either. It could work, but meld. it says melding is the proper terminology, the proper cooking terminology. So, Well, for me, my go-to... 
meal, and I can eat this at least for three days in a row, is turkey dinner after Christmas or Thanksgiving oh, or whatever. Bravo. And I will bravo. wake up dreaming of the gravy. Like, it'll be 10 a.m., and I'm at the microwave making some mashed potatoes and gravy and leftover mm. pierogies. And I think mm. part of it is because that meal, you know, you're putting it all together for everyone, and you don't really feel like you enjoy it in the moment. But then the next day, I'll just take this plate and just go sit somewhere in the house and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have six plates of this today. And I love it. So keep that feedback coming. 780-6868 in terms of your favorite food for leftovers. Is it Chinese food? Is it lasagna? One of our listeners says baked spaghetti. The other, Shannon says she just grinds hers up and gives it to the dog. So maybe that's the way you go with it too. We do need to talk about what's going on in Winnipeg and Ottawa with these protests. And you heard some of the audio from the Prime Minister just after seven with Jeff Braun, Trudeau saying he understands how tired everyone is. But in that emergency debate in the House of Commons last night, he also said that these protests are not the way to get through this. This pandemic has sucked for all Canadians. But Canadians know the way to get through it is to continue listening to science, continuing to lean on each other, continuing to be there for each other. Trudeau made the comments during an emergency meeting on the anti-mandate protest in the House of Commons last night. At the same session, interim Conservative leader Candace Bergen accused Trudeau of contributing to divisions. Canadians are telling the Prime Minister they want to get back to work, they want to get back to normal life. That's why we're seeing demonstrations not only in Ottawa, but right across the country. The Prime Minister has caused division by overtly politicizing vaccines and the pandemic and calling these Canadians names. And now he's saying these protests really aren't his problem. They're the provinces or maybe even the cities. Our next guest is an assistant professor in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa and has attended countless sit-ins, blockades, protests, and counter-protests. We say good morning to Regina Bateson. Good morning, Regina. Good morning. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us. The big question I had yesterday was, uh, when, if they have, when did these protests become something else? When did they cross the line from being what's protected in the Constitution as freedom of speech, freedom to uh, gather and, and peacefully protest? Have, have they crossed the line? Well, from the beginning, it was always clear, um, I think, to most people that this was going to be something other than a quote-unquote normal protest. Of course, there are elements of a normal protest or demonstration, people coming together, having their signs, wanting to communicate a message, being largely or entirely on foot. That has always been there. But again, from the beginning, the stated goal of this group was an unconstitutional seizure of power. Uh, That's the mission that brought them to Ottawa in particular. And they also were very upfront about their goal of installing themselves in the city and staying here. And for some reason, those statements and intentions were dismissed um, or perhaps not processed correctly by local authorities here. And so that's how we find ourselves in a position where this group has taken over a part of Ottawa and is still here. So where does it go next? I'm not sure. I mean, it's a really volatile situation. I think that is that's the only thing we can be certain Mm -hmm. of. 
Um, there's speculation about some kind of negotiations. On the other hand, though, these are a federal set of demands that the group is making, and the federal government clearly has no mood for negotiating with them. Um, there's speculation about calling in other authorities, potentially the military, although, again, to be very clear, um, the prime minister and his other ministers have said over and over again it's not happening. So that kind of leaves it in the hands of the city of Ottawa. And the city of Ottawa has said that they're outnumbered, uh, that the situation has been out of control, and they simply don't have enough people or probably the experience uh, or planning to handle something like this. So they are requesting more officers, um, a significant number of additional officers now for the city of Ottawa's police force. We'll see if those materialize and from where and how quickly. Um, but I think it's a very uncertain and fluid situation on the ground, and it's posing real threats to residents on a daily basis here. I suspect there'll be, well, there will be lots of time, Regina, for us to talk about uh, maybe what went wrong from the get-go in terms of preventing the situation from becoming what we see now and, and what's happening in Ottawa. Meanwhile, in Quebec City, there they sort of drew a line in the sand there and it was uh, sort of a one day and done in, in Quebec City. What was the difference there, do you think? Yeah, you see similar differences. And um, if you look at Toronto also or any number of other locations and cities. So the key was probably prevention and anticipation of what was about to happen. Um, the Ottawa police allowed the big rigs to install themselves uh, in the downtown core and to come into that area to park right next to the government buildings. And there they remain. So that was really, I think, the key thing, the key decision that was made in the beginning was not to stop those vehicles from coming into the downtown core. Um, and other cities had more advance notice because they had seen how this played out in Ottawa. They had some idea, uh, some better idea and better um, comprehension of what this group was intending to do. So they responded differently from the beginning. But, you know, it's a real lesson in how a small decision or a relatively small decision in the beginning can have downstream consequences because by installing themselves in the downtown core and effectively taking over a portion of Ottawa, this group has then been able to get much more media attention, do further organizing and recruitment on social media, um, get some degree of political support or acknowledgement, uh, perhaps from some people within Canada, and get significant political support from the United States, as well as the funding that is being lined up for them there now. So, I mean, as of this morning, they've raised almost $6 million U.S. dollars uh, through the site Give, Send, Go um, that could potentially kind of land in their laps here any moment. They've, you know, been essentially endorsed by former President Trump. They have really um, achieved a level of notoriety um, and international prominence that wouldn't have been possible if not for their initial success in taking over part of Ottawa. Yeah, the reaction in the States is a whole other part of the story that we'll have to get into at some point. We're going to have to leave it there, Regina, but appreciate the time. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Regina Bates, an assistant professor in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. A lot of food texts coming as we talk leftovers and your favorite leftovers. And Greg, it's so funny. Some people say pierogies are no good as a leftover. They must be eaten the same day. And then one of our listeners said, hey, hang on, Lorraine saying the next day cold with some bacon and some onions and some sour cream. Yeah, she says, who can re- who can resist the cold pierogi with bits of bacon and onion on it? Dip them in cold sour cream the next day. The love for Granny's pierogies start all over again. Lorraine, I don't know where you're living, but there are never 
ever any leftover pierogies <laughs> in my house. So keep that feedback coming and also let us know what you're seeing for gas prices out there. We're hearing anything from 139 to 149 for gas this morning. We know we've been warned prices will continue to rise, Greg, into the spring and summer. And it's actually our question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. What are we asking? Well, go to cjob.com. And the question is this. Gas prices are on the rise across Canada again. How will you cope? The options are to drive less, fewer treats, you know, like the drive through Tim Hortons, the coffee, the going out for dinner, less money for essentials, which is obviously a little bit more serious for folks uh, when they have to make those decisions. And then uh, there are those of you that have no choice but to pay the higher price. Four options for you with regard to gas prices, which are on the rise again across the country. CGOB.com, question of the day. Okay, but it's Tuesday and always at Tuesday at this time. Breakfast with the Bombers is brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And today is the day many CFL fans, general managers, and players have circled on their calendars for the season. It is the official start of CFL free agency. And so at 11 this morning, any unsigned Canadian Football League players become free agents, Greg. Yeah, for fans and general managers of non-championship teams, it's an opportunity for their team to recalibrate and reload their talent pool. And what feels like an instant, you know, losers can become winners pretty quickly via free agency in the Canadian Football League. And for players, it's an opportunity to sign a contract wherever the opportunity to maximize their salary is. For the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, it's a day when their fans are going to have to watch several very good and very popular players switch uniforms. Our next guest played for exactly one team over the course of his Hall of Fame CFL career. We say good morning to our good friend, Doug Brown. Morning, Doug. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. Hey, I have a question. I don't know if I've ever asked you this before. Did you ever go to free agency and did you ever come close to moving on from the Blue Bombers? Good question. Um, actually, no, I never did. I I came close maybe a couple times and uh, there was one time I was contemplating. I was hearing uh, radio networks in British Columbia were reporting that Wally wanted me to bring me home back to BC and, and I chewed on that for a little bit, but I never actually uh, made it to free agency. So I was always, uh, I felt my age and my representation always felt I was uh, always given quite, quite a good deal um, that, you know, we wouldn't even really be able to exceed on the market. So uh, it was, uh, it was pretty easy. It was a no brainer too, especially when I got later on in my career. I just, uh, I, I wanted to just play in one place. It's, you have too much, uh, there are too many benefits for a player just uh, staying with one franchise his entire career. So it, well, was, uh, it was the right decision for me. Yeah, and obviously now uh, you are a Winnipegger through and through, even though you weren't born here. Hey, the two-time defending Great Cup champions, I'm speaking of, of course, the Blue Bombers. So those are players from championship rosters, and I'm talking in general terms. Are they more attractive to other teams just by virtue of being a league champion? Oh, yeah. Oh, without question. You know, it's it's a quick fix for anybody, right? I think that's what we're seeing maybe a little bit with the dynamics of, of Kenny Lawler. So uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers right now are the class of the Canadian Football League. Winning back-to-back championships is very rare. Uh, trying to go for it uh, for a third straight is uh, even more unprecedented. So 
you know, any team that didn't get there, any team that wasn't competing until the end, um, the easiest sell to your fan base is to go poach as many players as possible from that uh, championship kind of shine that, that these players have on them right now. So instead of, you know, drafting and develop or, or free agent signing out, out of the U.S., uh, you're, you're bringing proven winners to your football team. But there's a lot of different dynamics uh, when you take one player from, from one roster and put them on another, obviously. So it's how he's going to mesh with all the different parts. And that's why that cliche of the grass not always being greener has, has come up. because mm. uh, Just because a player plays one way on one football team, you're, you're not necessarily going to get those same results when you put them in a different environment, in a different structure, and a different uh, scheme. Yeah, that's why we talk about chemistry all the time, right? And you mentioned yeah. Kenny Lawler and the idea. It sounds like he's making a commitment to the Elks or is committed to them with whatever numbers being tossed around, some huge, huge numbers being mentioned huge. in connection yeah. with them, upwards of $300,000 was one report. But anyway, I, I do want to ask about Andrew Harris because it sounds wow. like the running back you know, won't be returning next season. I'm, I'm curious what you make of this decision to move on, if that's in fact the way this is going. Yeah, it's... Uh... Super regrettable, super tough, but uh, I think, you know, everyone wishes uh, you could just convince Andrew Harris to take a smaller amount than what, you know, the market might offer him. Uh, He's obviously uh, near the end of his career. I'm not sure how many more seasons he wants to play for. Um, It was my understanding that last year actually might be it, but sometimes things happen and, uh, you know, it can be very alluring. You only get to play pro football once in your life. You can't exactly come back when you're in your late 30s and start over again. So he may be wanting to maximize uh, whatever he has left. And it's it's a real tough situation. Obviously, he's a huge part of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers winning two great cups. Um, but he's had some injury situations. He'll be 35 years old. And uh, you can't really uh, let your, your future talent, guys like Johnny Augustine and Brady Oliveira, you can't let those guys get away from you just to try and hold on and, and squeeze out one more year um, from someone that's been a very top performer and integral to the success of your football team. So it's going to be a very difficult day, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm still holding out a little bit. I'm hoping Andrew Harris will come around and there'll be some divine intervention, but I think it's very um, unlikely that uh, he returns to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful for a lot of uh, a lot of fans in, in this area potentially. Doug Brown, we appreciate your insight, your candor, your honesty, and your friendship. Appreciate it kindly, and uh, have yourself a good day. We'll catch up soon. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You betcha. Doug Brown, legendary uh, defensive lineman, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and of course part of our Blue Bomber coverage team here on 680 CJOB. And oh yeah, Loren, he's in the Hall of Fame. Or something no big deal. Like that. Something like yeah, that. Ring right? of Honor, whatever. <laughs> Greg, getting lots of great feedback on people's favorite take, not takeout, leftovers. Uh, Progies topped the list earlier. We have lots of people weighing in on the Chinese food, so keep that feedback coming. And your feedback on gas prices. We had asked you with our question of the day, how you're going to cope with rising gas prices. One of our listeners, Greg, says in Steinbach, at the co-op, it's 150, almost 151. Mm-hmm. Across the street, we're still at 139. And someone else said they just filled up for 134. So that's a real mixed bag, but 150, whew, that's high. Yeah, well, my buddies in BC are creeping towards $1.75 
a leader depending on how close they get to Vancouver. So uh, gas prices always a little more in British Columbia, uh, but a buck fifty that's nothing to sneeze at. My goodness. Yeah, so keep that feedback coming and weigh in on that question of the day. How will you cope or do you have no choice? If you have to get in your car, go, or that's your means for work or whatnot. I mean, there's really not a lot you can do in some respects. So 780-6868. Okay, so restrictions are slowly easing in Manitoba. As of today, you can have more people in your home, although there are some caveats for the numbers depending on vaccination status. Restaurants can serve alcohol until midnight and tonight. As we've been saying, for the first time in weeks, the Winnipeg Jets will have thousands of fans in the stands with capacity back at 50%. Now, we know it's been a long haul for all of us. Uh, Some will argue the restrictions aren't easing quickly enough. Some might worry the hospitals still aren't ready. And then there are the vaccine mandates and mask mandates and the protests that continue here in Winnipeg, Ottawa, and across the country. The anger is no question real, but at some point it's taken a seriously concerning turn. Expletives and threats hurled at everyone from politicians to frontline workers to the media. The unvaccinated, the vaccinated. Last night, Global National anchor Donna Friesen shared some of her thoughts. We thought they were worthy of more conversation. Can you sleep at night? How can you sleep at night with all the lies? Global news, the propagandists themselves. It's as if they've forgotten Canada is free. They refuse to tell the truth. They can walk down the street hurling insults. Tell the truth. Canadians have political rights and civil liberties. We have democratically elected governments, free and fair elections, and a free press. Freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including freedom of the press, is protected by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Yet in Toronto, this happened to a global news reporter. After your convictions, your executions cannot come soon enough. You are the enemy of the people. You're the vile liars. Where have we heard that before? A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people. And they are. They are the enemy of the people. When the former U.S. president first said that, it sounded shocking. Now we hear it on Canadian streets. Maria Ressa, an investigative journalist and co-winner of the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize, warns of a slide into fascism enabled by technology. Our greatest need today is to transform that hate and violence. The toxic sludge that's coursing through our information ecosystem prioritized by American internet companies that make more money by spreading that hate and triggering the worst in us. Triggering the worst in us. We are all tired of public health restrictions. When and how to loosen them is worth civil debate. This is not that. Ressa and others believe there is an insidious manipulation happening at scale, and we're only beginning to wrap our heads around it. As she says, without facts, you can't have truth. Without truth, you can't have trust. Without trust, we have no shared reality, no democracy. That was Global National anchor, <clears throat> excuse me, Donna Friesen speaking last night on the show at 5.30. And when I heard those comments, my, my immediate thought was, I'm all for healthy debate. I love debating people and I don't mind being told, you know, that people think I'm right or wrong or what have you. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where I land, but I like the healthy debate and discourse, Greg. What's changed, though? is the vitriol, the, the anger, the outright hatred that is, that is expressed towards all sorts 
of groups from all sorts of groups. It's flying every which way, and it eliminates the ability to actually have that healthy discourse when when someone's actually saying, you know, you should be hung or this or that. It, it makes it very challenging when those kinds of words are being spoken. The inability, the unwillingness almost to find common ground. That's what bothers me the most. I've spoken uh, for years on this air about my love and affection for my late grandfather, uh, I can tell you, and uh, those around us that that knew about our the nature of our relationship, no two people disagreed on things more often than my grandfather and I, but we always hugged afterward. We always felt we were able to find common ground, and I, I always did my best to understand where he was coming from, and, and, and that's what's being lost, and, and, and it's devastating. So we want to move on now and talk about food. We've been getting so many food texts this morning, like Stacy, who said, leftover boiled potatoes, take them out of the fridge, cut them into a quarter inch, half rounds, fry them up in butter with a little salt and pepper, and they are way better than hash browns. Why is Stacy sending us that recipe for leftovers, Greg? Well, because we've been discussing our favorite leftover dishes today and our approach to making sure less food finds its way into the garbage or into the composter. According to Waste Reduction Week in Canada, their website is at wrwcanada.com, approximately 58% of food produced in our country is lost or wasted each year. The value of that food is almost $50 billion, Loren, that translates into over $1,700 per household per year. So our next guest is trying to help change how excess food is handled and distributed. Sam Kashani is the country manager of Too Good To Go, the world's leading app for fighting food waste. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. It's this whole conversation. I mean, I, I think so many Canadians can relate to tossing food from the fridge. And then, of course, you have to think about the businesses that might have to do that, depending on things, how things are going. So tell us about Too Good To Go. How does it work? Absolutely. At Too Good To Go, we're essentially an app that connects consumers with stores that have surplus food left at the end of the day. So what we do is you essentially open our app, look at your um, neighborhood, and essentially walk into a local cafe, bakery, grocery store, and pick up the surplus food that they have left at the end of the day. Why that's so beneficial for both the consumers and the businesses is that consumers get great value for surplus food, and then the businesses get incremental traffic into their stores and make sure that they don't actually waste that little bit of surplus food that they have left at the end of the day. Can you give us an example, Sam? Sorry, Greg, I just was, give me a no, sense. If, okay. if I know it's not up and running yet in Winnipeg, but I think you are hoping to be here soon. So that's the follow-up there, Sam. But what would I find? Like what might be on the menu, for example, from a certain restaurant or store? Yeah, so if you think of a local uh, grocery store, we would have an assorted produce bag. So that would be essentially assorted produce that would be in, in the bag. And, and uh, all of the bags that we pick up on our platform are essentially surprise bags. So it's a collection of surplus food categorized for our users. So for a bakery, it could be a baked goods bag. So in that bag, you could find muffins, you can find croissants, bread. It could be all sorts of baked goods that that store has surplus left at the end of the day. So the whole point for us is to make sure that we make it as easy as possible for the businesses to make sure that they find a home for their surplus food while giving consumers guidance with regards to the categories of surplus food that they will be picking up at the, at the local businesses. So Sam, like you, the first part of my working life was spent in the food service industry. And for years, 
it was with a restaurant group that was uh, lived by and worked by the fresh food philosophy. So there were fine tuned systems geared toward limiting food waste. And there was obviously a gigantic profit motive uh, towards that and why that was in place. Everything from dating, rotating special techniques and tools for transferring foods from one container to another was a huge focus. I fell in love with the spatula during my time with that, with that group. <laughs> Even then, food waste wasn't zero. Just talk about how, how easy it is for otherwise consumable food to end up in the trash. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I think despite the best efforts matching supply and demand, as you said, is near impossible to get to zero and get food waste to zero. So for us, um, the simplicity of our tool and the flexibility of our tool really gives the, um, the ability for those businesses, restaurants, grocery stores, and, and, and restaurant chains to ultimately make sure that they get to zero waste. So for us, the simplicity is really, as I mentioned, the surprise bag because food waste is unpredictable, as we know. When you open up your store or when you're essentially in a grocery store, from the morning to the evening, you actually don't know exactly what's going to be left. And our surprise bag philosophy and the model that we have, which we've scaled now in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, and soon to hopefully be in Winnipeg in, in, the, in the coming months, really gives the tools for those businesses to really capture that you know, little bit of surplus that they have left at the end of the day and, and getting into a consumer's hands. What happens in the grocery store, Sam? Like if a store has, you know, a full shelf of apples, presumably in the back, they might have also a bin of apples that they're ready to put out should that supply dwindle. But that's not always going to be the case. And so where does that food go at the end of the week when it hits that certain date or that best before and it hasn't been sold? Yeah, a variety of differences. So sometimes it's, it's thrown out, which obviously we want to avoid if the food can actually make it through the logistics and it's a large sum. Um, local food banks have the opportunity to ultimately uh, pick, pick that food up um, or essentially discount it down to, you know, the, the you know, cents on the dollar for consumers to essentially pick that up. So there really isn't one way based on the based on the specific food that's left that, that stores are, are salvaging and or selling the food. So our tool really is complementary to all the other avenues that exist today. And we know that a lot of food that nears that um, end, of, end, end of life, but also if it's fresh food, doesn't have the shelf life to live another one, two, three, four days and doesn't have the ability to actually get to a food bank. So consumers essentially go in that same day during our pickup, pickup window and actually pick up and consume that, that, that same night. Yeah, and it, it's that last mile that's always so difficult, right? Timing the bananas to be the right color. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed it yourself, Sam, but uh, green bananas at the grocery store right now are the norm. At least they are at the grocery stores that I'm at because th- with supply chain issues and, and whatnot, that's, that's the only way because you can't deliver them spoiled. 100%. And I think that last mile comment is a really relevant one because the model of our platform um, beyond our app is really to democratize the fight against food waste. And our, our vision and mission as an organization is to give everyone the tools to take a small step towards combating food waste. So our app is our core platform in which connects consumers with stores. But we're doing a lot of other work in inspiring folks to essentially reduce food waste at home. So we've just launched our Remix Recipe book, which is on our website at toogoodtogo.ca, in which there's a there's a lot of recipes, I think 70 plus recipes that essentially you can use your leftovers to create meals instead of actually wasting food just within your home. 
So I think for us, it's really about that last mile, as you said, around democratization of it, but really just raising the awareness of how important um, how important food waste is and the reduction of it is for uh, for us as Canadians. Before we let you go, Sam, you launched in Toronto last night with, I think, at least 100 different partners. Where are you heading next? And, and you mentioned Winnipeg there. You hope in the next couple months. Do you have any more hard uh, timelines for that? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll we'll keep close to obviously restrictions in COVID, et cetera, to, to make sure that we're there. Um, we're in Toronto, we're in Vancouver, and we're in Montreal. Um, Seoul will launch in Alberta, and then soon after we'll be in, in Winnipeg. So I, I'm confident we'll be there in the shortcoming months, definitely by the summer months. Um, and excited to excited to bring the platform to um, to to Manitoba and Winnipeg. Sam Kashani, Country Manager of Too Good to Go. Did you have one last question there, Greg? No, I just wanted to thank yeah, Sam for his cool. time and for for bringing us uh, not only the topic to light, but for making it understandable and and realizing we just got a text message from somebody who says, you know, what some of these grocery stores uh, throw away is almost criminal, but it's apps like yours that is going to make that less frequent, I hope. Appreciate that, Absolutely. Sam Kashani, country manager of Too Good To Go. This is an app to sort of connect consumers with grocery stores, with restaurants for that surprise food bag that might help eliminate food waste and maybe give you something different in your bag. We need to turn our chat to the movie business, to the movies. The Oscar nominations went out today. A couple Canadians, a director getting a nom and a costume mm-hmm. designer as well there. Lots of things to see eventually on the big screen or on the screen at home. And last week when we were talking about the storm and the different cold weather patterns moving through, we had one of our listeners text that they were on their way out to a, a movie scene out in Carmen, a movie that's being shot out in Carmen. And so no matter... Um, where you are in this province, you might be seeing movie trucks in the next couple days and weeks ahead because this has become a really great destination for filmmakers to come try to create something to get onto the screen. And I think we were talking about the whole idea that it's, you know, regardless of the uh, caliber of the film or production, it's still cool to spot the landmarks and Manitoba locations in the movies, no matter you know, the entertainment quality, let's say. Our next guest is no stranger to our listeners. He's a homegrown talent named to the Order of Manitoba just last year, film producer and Eagle Vision co-owner. We say good morning to Kyle Irving. Morning, Kyle. Good morning. Where, where's the couch potato, your friend McGarry? <laughs> I know, we're talking films and we don't even have the film guy here. <laughs> I feel a little shortchanged, I gotta tell you. Brett, we'll be we'll back sure tomorrow. We'll make next time you, you join us, Kyle. Sorry about that, friend. Uh, listen, <laughs> there, there is almost an insatiable appetite for content right now, and, and that might be from the public, but certainly by the different platform creators clamoring to create their own content. How has that world changed, and what sort of opportunities is it creating here in Manitoba? Well, you know, it's really created kind of the perfect storm, right? Because you've got all of these new platforms, and so you've made content much more accessible to the world. But then, you know, you you add on the pandemic factor, and and what happened was, you know, like any business, it's supply and demand, right? And so these streamers and the broadcasters always have a reserve of content, uh, you know, in the bank, so to speak. But with the consumption rates that people had during the pandemic, uh, the supply was exhausted, and so now we're playing catch-up. So not only was it the busiest time in the history of the industry going into the pandemic regarding content creation, now, now it's, you know, it's 
it's a multiple of that because not only are we trying to service all of those new streamers, all of those new broadcasters, but we're trying to catch up from from all the stuff that was watched during the pandemic. Yeah, pre-pandemic, I think the number I saw was $251 million in revenues for the province 2018-2019. Of course, that obviously dropped slightly when the pandemic started. But as you talk about trying to catch up again, does that mean opportunities, jobs, other things for folks within the film industry here in this province, Kyle? Yeah, I think we're no different than what many industries are seeing, which is, you know, there's supply chain shortages and there's labor shortages. And those two things greatly impact our ability to to work and to grow. And so as much as there's a a demand for more content, you can only make so much based on what you have available to to create it. So it's a struggle right now. Uh, There's no shortage of demand. There's no shortage of buyers and there's no shortage of content creators on the creative side. But the actual people who make the shows, you know, that's where we're really struggling to have enough of a labor force, where we're struggling to get the supplies we need to, to make the shows. You know, you think about the things the show needs. It's, it's everything from, you know, food services to, to trucks to cameras and lenses. All of those things there's shortages of right now. So I think our capacity to grow right now is limited. It's certainly not limited by the demand. It's limited by the reality of the world right now. So if anyone's thinking about a career in the film industry, now is a terrific time to go that route because there is no shortage of opportunity. Kyle, I did some extra work back in the day and it it, it felt as though that uh, was maybe hit and miss uh, some summers you could get extra work, other summers maybe not as much, and so you couldn't really hang your hat on that. Yet in Vancouver, I had friends who were were making a really good second income doing that extra work. Here it was just kind of a once-in-a-while thing. And then now you fast-forward to what's going on. Is this a, a flash-in-the-pan, a come-and-go thing, or you know, you just made the call out? You know, If you're thinking about a career, now's the time. Does this have the staying power? Is this entrenched? Do we have the physical assets for this to be a long-time contributor to the economy? Now, there's a lot of factors that play into that, uh, Greg. The, but the number one thing we have going for us here in Manitoba that gives us a real competitive edge over other parts of North America and the world when it comes to bringing production to this place is, is the tax credit that's associated with the film industry. And, and about four years ago, the Conservatives made that tax credit a permanent part of legislation. So by making that, that, that tax credit permanent, it used to have a sunset clause, it gives sustainability and stability to the industry. So people looking at coming to Manitoba, looking at working here, can count on that to be there for them to support there. So we get a competitive advantage over other places by having that in place. So I think that's a big part of the security here. The other factor is, is the community itself. And this is the most film-friendly community I've ever worked in anywhere in the world. Manitobans, Winnipeggers open their arms to the industry. They recognize the economic impact that it contributes to our economy, uh, the employment that it brings, to our uh, uh, workers here in Manitoba. And it's, you know, absolutely uh, up to the ongoing support of the people of Winnipeg and Manitoba to ensure the sustainability of the industry as much as anything else. How do we do that? Oh, he didn't like that question. Did we just lose Kyle? Just, well, 
It sounds more like a busy sort of uh, okay. thing, well, like you're on hold right G, now. you let Kyle know that we, uh, we'll we have to let it go there just because of timing, but we'll have to get him back on, Greg. That's so encouraging oh. to hear. That was Kyle Her- Irving, film producer of Eagle Vision. I mean, to throw out that call, if, you, if you're looking for a change in career, if you're looking for a career path, looking for career guidance, get into the film industry, that's saying something. No question about it. And uh, it's not often that I throw a shout out to a podcast that isn't produced by by Chorus Entertainment, but uh, Smartless with Will Arnett, Jason Bateman. Uh, and I always forget the the third wheel on that uh, Sean Hayes. podcast. Sean Hayes, thank you. Sean, you're not the third wheel. It just uh, I, I'm a big fan of both Arnett and Bateman. And they interviewed Woody Harrelson just before Christmas. And right in the tag, we catch up to Woody Harrelson in Winnipeg. In the first two or three minutes, Arnett's talking about his connections to Winnipeg and how he's got to go and visit this aunt and that aunt. And and so without that, you know, those references, we were talking about your pop culture references to Winnipeg. Winnipeg is really a big part of the movie scene now. It's niche and it's smaller saying than it is in British Columbia, but we're, we're doing really big things as usual, punching above our weight class, not to speak on behalf of Kyle. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.